welcome to the Escape Velocity podcast presented by Modern Wordshop. This is the show for aspiring career changers where we explore how to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you're looking for inspiration to tackle a new career, pick up a new hobby, or just choose to show up to the world in a more authentic and meaningful way, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Kevin Sawyer. People should have to be burdened by this end of life ex- expense. We know it's coming for everyone, and so that's a little bit of a bummer. But if, we're, if the business exists, I think we should operate not as a super capitalist mindset, but as a super people-focused mindset. The money will come, um, and I think we can take the greed off the table and focus on the people. And you tend to get res- good results that way. So welcome to the Escape Velocity podcast presented by Modern Wordshop. Uh, I'm here with my guest, Drew DeMichaelis. Drew has had a striking career change where he went from a career in financial services as a CPA for Ernst & Young and uh, a number of other positions and eventually took a turn into the death industry. So I'm going to I'm gonna let Drew sort of give the flyover of the last uh, few years of his life to how, how that transition happened. So Drew, tell us how you went from an accounting position at one of the big four accounting firms into where you are today. So I started in, in accounting um, after school. I did four years in undergrad and got a finance degree. That was in like the wake of the financial crisis. So I decided to stick one more year uh, out and do a grad program for a master's in accounting. Um, and that, that put me into the big four pipeline. Um, I went to New York uh, after school in Virginia and spent uh, two years in auditing there. That was a great experience. I think, you know, first jobs are first jobs. You just learn a lot. Um, socially, it was awesome. Tons of young people, but the work was never really that interesting to me. So I I segued out of that after like two and a half years to consulting in the process improvement team. I thought that was more analytical and exciting new ideas. Maybe my day to day would change a bit. Um, Did that for about a year. I wanted to learn more and just have a broader scope than just financial services. And I happened to find a a startup that I, I really liked. I was a customer already and they happened to be hiring and were looking for people with my background. That was a company called Harry's uh, Shaving Company. So um, super cool people. I ended up getting a position there. I worked in customer experience, so totally different, like really people focused um, with some analytics attached to it. But it was really like people management role. I was managing a team of like 60 people at one point there. And that was like a huge change for me. Uh, And I was there for three years and then I decided to take a break. I ended up just consulting. So like, it was kind of like my holdover work was like doing what I was doing at Harry's, but helping other smaller startups do the same thing, building their customer experience teams, helping them think through different text tools, hiring processes, candidates, like what to look for. Um, and I did that for a few months and then ended up deciding I want to move from New York just to get out of there. And my brother lives over here on the beach. 
So I thought that'd be a great place to kind of figure my, my life out. So I moved over here. You know, he's been working with my aunt. So my aunt runs a cremation business. She's been doing this for a long time and he's been working with her for seven years. So all the while I'm trying to figure my life out. They're excited I'm living in California and they're like, well, why don't you just work with us? And, and so we kind of worked out a time for me to kind of come on the team and start learning. And that happened in like January of 2019. Um, and I've been, I've been working there. Yeah. For about a year and a half now. Did you have an idea of what role you would play or what aspect of that business you wanted to plug into, or did you go into it with just very kind of open eyes saying, show me everything and, and we'll see where, you know, your, your skills and talents kind of naturally fall into play. Yeah. I, you know, I tried, I'm pretty analytical and, um, I'm a planner. So I had like a perspective of what I was good at and what I wanted to do. Um, and I tried to bring that to the discussions that I had with my brother and my aunt. And I wanted to stay away from the day to day a little bit and try to, I tried to negotiate that. And she was like, you just need to come in. I'm going to treat you like anyone else. You're going to work from the ground up and that's how you're going to learn. And it was definitely the, the best approach. And I'm still, it's just a small business. So I'm still, I have my hands in all these different pots at any given time, any given day. Um, but it's it's been working well. I've gotten to understand a lot more of the business than just focusing on the things I thought I could add value to. What what caused that that boom in the last five years or so for the business? Small family businesses, I think a lot of them operate in this way too, like ours, which is like it's pushed by the energy and effort and maybe there's some luck there of like the, the sole person who's in charge. So in this case, my aunt, that's part of it is it's just like, she kind of had set the process up for this to be a scalable business. And then my brother came in about seven years ago with like a background in business from school. And he started applying different things that he had learned in school, plus just like a younger, more like open yes mentality. And he started to push her to say yes to new opportunities she hadn't thought of. And those little avenues that he had pushed her on started to really expand our, the awareness in our region. So we're in Southern California um, and help open up different avenues for growth um, to help more families. And also there's just like a broad trend towards cremation as opposed to funerals. So that's what we're optimized for. Like people, and that's really because I think people have less that sentimental, like, you know, vision of like a big service, a wake casket, you know, in a cemetery that's kind of faded a bit for some people, um, as well as like the cost um, factor. And I could go into like my whole perspective in New York around like, I mean, you look at like income inequality and wealth inequality, and I, you just see like all these factors in America kind of pushing people um, to cremation, to more affordable arrangements, plus just like social norms also pushing us there and making us more acceptable, making it more acceptable. This may be a, a naive question, but because it is a crematorium business, does the, the length of time that you're with a client, is it shorter than a, than a casket based service based, uh, approach? Do you, do you, are, you know, what's the average kind of length of engagement that you have with the surviving spouse or, or family member of, of someone that you're processing? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say like, if you think about like a typical funeral, um, you have a list of questions to answer, to work out with a family that's like pages long. It's like, it's like a, 
you know, planning a party or, or a wedding, there's just a service this day, this, this day, and then all these different people that need to be brought in and involve transportation from different locations. You're kind of moving large groups of people at certain times to certain places. There's also more paperwork that's involved because you're talking about a burial, you're talking about arranging with a cemetery. And so that, that process is way more expensive, easily like can be ten, twenty thousand $20,000, and then takes usually, you know, a week or two of multiple calls to different vendors to help coordinate for someone. Cremation, honestly, like can be done 100% online almost. Our website's set up this way. Um, you could go on there and check all the, you know, this, it's a really just simple, simple decision tree um, to get everything you need and, and pay online really. And then the, the interaction with the family is really a, we always do a, a call just to introduce ourselves, a consolation call, ask what questions they have, what do they want to do? And there, a lot of families take the option of like, I want you to handle everything and call me when everything's completed, like super minimalist. And so sometimes our interaction with the family can just be five minutes and the whole process would only take a few days. Do you find yourself servicing, whether intentional or not, a specific demographic where you are geographically or is the service you offer just, it, it sounds like, as you were saying, all of these forces of social forces and cultural norms and um, are, are sort of leveling out uh, the field. So, so you know, do, do you... Do you find yourself servicing a, a certain demographic or is it just sort of wide open? I, it's, it's pretty wide open. I, I would say that, you know, I've taken a look at our, um, we have some data that we can gather on, on just who visits our website and just seeing their, their backgrounds. Like it, it skews to certain, no, no certain like income level, which was interesting to us. Like we're super low cost. If you think about like the average cost of a cremation service in the state being around 1500, 2000 we're about 600, 650. And that's really because we own our building. We own the crematory. So we just pass savings to families directly. Um, we would think that that would skew like to people with a much lower income, but it's like the same number of people in the top 10% or in the bottom 10%. Um, and in Southern California, that disparity is huge because you've got people who live on the beach in giant homes in Beverly Hills. And you've got people who live inland in like a small apartment and they they're both equally likely to use us. Um, I would say that um, we we are the largest um, provider for Hispanic families um, in Southern California for a single location. Uh, we serve a lot of Hispanic families, and there's like, and there I see a lot of the social norms and the financial norms kind of at odds. Where strong Catholic background, Hispanic uh, traditionally, and and then on top of that, like uh, financial constraints sometimes, and so you want to have a big service. But they're coming to us because the alternative in Southern California is ten, twenty thousand dollars for what they need, and they come to us to try to work out something that's actually affordable. Um, and we also work with families on ideas for fundraising too to try to just help anybody out. So, are, are you personally on the phones for some of those condolences calls, and and you're so you're interacting with the customers one on one? Um, talk to me about what that training looked like? Was it all on the job? Was there any sort of formal program that your aunt and brother sort of introduced you to, to have, or at least be more aware of those, um, interpersonal skills for, for a, a conversation like that? Yeah. Um, there's training. So we go through, like, we have a week long training for every new hire. And so that was my, my aunt has like a normal, um, you know, 
couple sessions she goes through with every new hire just to introduce them to like the, you know, what she's trying to accomplish, what we're about, what to do, what not to do. And then my brother goes into the nuances of things. Um, my background actually in customer experience at Harry's just tied like directly in. Um, it was really just like, I had all this knowledge from all these best practices and, and trainings we'd, we'd done to scale our team to provide great customer service. And I mean, we're talking about razor blades on one hand and the problems those people have um, versus uh, cremation and funeral, but it translated really seamlessly for about 90, 95% of things. I mean, every, you know, the other, the differences are really like just having the EQ to kind of understand where is this person in at in their grieving process and just working with them. So there was an adjustment period for, you know, a couple months before I had kind of got my little flow down and, kind of have to come up with different approaches for how different family members that you're interacting with are feeling and, and reacting and what they need. But it was, um, it was, it was a great, it was honestly a great learning experience. Like it really is like just jump on phones and we'll listen and you can, we'll, we'll give you feedback. Um, that's the kind of learning environment we were in. And so I do that still today. I still hop on, on phones. So I'm very curious about that. So without, giving away any industry secrets, obviously, what are some of those other overlaps between the CX experience that you had at Harry's and other places and, and where you are now? Um, obviously you mentioned just kind of figuring out where people are in the process, which I can see translates pretty well to kind of a, more of a sales funnel, um, analogy, but like what, what are other things that you've taken from your past experience in finance and accounting that you've been able to apply in your role now? you know, just the ability to have the right tone of voice with someone, I would say is super important. Um, you want to be super soft a lot of most of the time, right? And uh, I would say just our, our general approach, it's not like a super secret or anything, but it's the same thing we did at Harry's was promoting transparency around pricing and fairness. And so like this industry, just to give you everyone and listeners a perspective, like multi-billion dollar funeral industry in the United States of America there's one mega corporation that is like the primary dominant player. I use it. the analogies to the shaving industry are unbelievably similar in a lot of ways. Like, and this company owns most of the funeral homes. They handle most of the, the funerals and cremations in the country. And they are not that transparent about pricing necessarily. And they're super, they're pretty highly priced. Like they set the market rates cause they own so many in every major city. And then you've got mom and pop shops like our place and, hundreds of others in LA and hundreds in OC and hundreds in San Diego. And this is a small, just a small part of the country. So what I try to do is just say, ask them, what's the most helpful information I can give you after obviously like also offering my condolences, which generally people don't do, which is surprising. I know you or anyone our age probably has never called a funeral home. You generally will not get condolences. If you say, hi, my grandmother passed away, my mother passed away and I need services. They're going to just be like, what do you want? Do you want this? They're going to try to upsell you. And our whole approach is, I'm really sorry to hear that. My condolences to you and your family. What's What services are you looking for? And I can walk you through the pricing and the process. Yeah. So you had a pretty sizable team at Harry's, it seems. Do you have a team in your role now or are you a sole contributor? Yeah. <clears throat> so... Um, I would say effectively my brother and I run the day to day. Um, for the most part, my, my aunt comes in 
around noon and then helps us like close everything out through the end of the day. And so we are running, um, we manage a team of what we, we call our team of like grief counselors. So those are the people that are manning the phones and managing each cremation um, from start to finish, making sure every step gets done. Um, it's a fairly simple process on the cremation part. You're really managing like paperwork from the family to make sure that we know what their plans are, they're arranging any additional services that they might require and, and obtaining payment. And then we have a crematory that operates as well. So we're just always constantly managing that. That's like making sure that someone, someone says, I need a, I have a service on this date. We need to have the cremation done by that date. So you're just managing all these different flows for about 40 to 60 people on a given day. And you're just trying to make sure that at the end of it, it's the like, with, with, with cremation, right, it cannot be undone and it's super sensitive. So this is why it's helpful that we own our own crematory. Um, and my ops background has helped me get comfortable with this to learn how we do it um, and also help try to improve that, um, which is, you know, making sure that it's like a chain of custody question. We have the right person and that the remains are their remains and they get right back to the family when they need them. And it's really that simple. If you can do that really well, then there are no major, major issues. Right. Um, that's like the biggest thing. That's the horror stories you hear in the industry. And that can, we hear that a lot on the phone. I, you know, I heard this funeral home gave back the wrong remains or they were doing all these awful things that sits in people's heads, even if they heard it 10 years ago and they just dismissed it. Like, Oh, that's crazy. When someone passes away, that pops right back to the top of your mind and says, is this business going to do that to me? I don't want it to happen to me. And so you're always fighting those mistakes that other people may have made. Um, and so that's probably like the, the primary focus of our entire operation is the start of every day to the end of every day, making sure we're managing that, the process of each case to make sure that everything's done exactly right. Um, and kudos, like we have one of the best cremation um, operators, I think, um, in the area, like it's just, a, it's an interesting job. Um, that's the person who actually manages the machines. These are big machines, right? That perform the cremations. Um, there's like a license, there's licensing that's involved and there's like a little bit of nuance in how you work your daily, daily schedule. Our team, we have two guys who do that and they're really good, um, super communicative, super friendly. Um, and they kind of operate separately from the grief counselors who deal with families. These guys don't deal with families, but we all kind of work together and it, and it creates this really nice um, flow. So it's like a super efficient team. We're super efficient from start to finish. Um, and I think that's one of our secrets is that we're able to do that really successfully. So you have an ops background, so clearly you're equipped to do the job. Um, but as you mentioned, the, the, the stakes of something going wrong are, are pretty potentially disastrous and, and and like you said the 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 bad press of an error in, in the processing can can really uh destroy a business or, or at least a reputation um coming into this was were you did you have any nerves or any anxiety or any insecurity about that or were you like it's i'm, I'm going to apply my ex you know i've got the ops background i know logistics i it's just a different business like what was your kind of personal um nerves level coming into this work super you know what i would say they were they were actually not that high they were low and that i think that's just probably a symbol of the reflection of my ignorance i think i was 
more focused on how I love the once I was sold and committed to joining, um, I was super optimistic with the business's upside, like how much we could grow. This is still early days. There's so many things we haven't thought of or tried. And so I was focused on that kind of like looking up as opposed to saying, well, look at all of the things that could go wrong, right? And, and the risk every time you incrementally increase the volume of what you're doing, um, things get riskier. And I think now I have more of a healthy sense of, um, you know, caution when we're trying to look for new opportunities or push digital marketing where I'm always, my aunt primarily is like, <laughs> we can't grow that much right now. Like if things break, that's the end of everything. And so like, it all comes back to like, I think I, I realized, you know, looking at my prior experience, it's like, okay, well, if 99.5% of the, the shipments go out on time, then the 0.5 is acceptable to be late. We can fix that. If something goes wrong and it's not like a hundred, it's not a hundred percent. So it can be game over. It can be lawsuit, end of licensing, ruins, ruins your brand. You never get that back. Um, and it's just like a tragedy in, a, in and of itself, right? You're like ruining someone's family's experience um, on the, the loss of their loved ones. So I think now my, my level of risk tolerance is actually lower uh, in a lot of ways. We're, we're just trying to build, I think, now I think of it more as like building a base of like safety and process, um, just building up what we already have and making it better so that we can start focusing then on healthy growth that will be supported and not, and not break. Um, and that's always like a constant challenge to balance for sure. Was it different to step into an industry that's kind of always on in that regard coming from more of a corporate and, and tech background? Uh, no, I would say like, I mean, to a certain extent, because a, I'm, I'm part of the family, right? So like, I'm one of those people that an employee might just go to and say like, Hey, here's a problem with something that's happening over the weekend. Um, and so you're always on in that sense. And, and also if there's anything that's on my aunt's mind, right. That, or that needs to be solved. And, you know, she's going to text me over the weekend. She's going to text me at night. I'm okay with that. Uh, I actually welcome that. I feel like, I feel like I'm trying to add value and, and there's just no real bounds on the hours that we can, we should be limiting ourselves to working if it's like a needed emergency. It doesn't happen too often. And I was used to that. My last job, we had phones over the weekends. I didn't work in the office on weekends, but I certainly took some subway rides from Brooklyn to New York to handle some emergencies that happened um, with our team. And so I was used to that. I think, I think the, I enjoy my work now more. And so it doesn't feel like I'm working as much as I probably am. And then when those emergencies pop up, it's, it's, it's okay with me, but it, it certainly will be like, I think of it, a, you know, when there's a transition, my aunt will retire eventually. And so like, while we work through that, and then ultimately my brother and I become like fully responsible for the employees, that's certainly something I think will be a new level of accountability. Um, I think it, I think my aunt feels that a lot, um, especially with someone with no business background and probably no plans for in her younger years to like be doing this uh, necessarily. This kind of just happened um, for her. I think she weighs that weighs heavily on her, right? Like she still operates, like she's super focused really. It's like on families and then providing for the employees. She's a really good person and it's, it's awesome to see it. It's, she still carries it like, you know, on this, on her sleeve, like, I can't make any risky decisions that might help us if it's going to at all risk 
our family's experience or our employees, because she's always trying to make sure that we're progressing um, with our compensation, with their work life. And so um, I appreciate that about about how we do things. And I'm happy to kind of fit in to, to solve problems along the way until, until we can focus on those longer term changes. You mentioned you enjoy your work now more. Um, what what specifically do you enjoy more? I, I think it's that like high level, the way I think about it in my head, audit, my audit job, I'm getting billed. Um, a bank is paying me to check that their numbers are right. And the idea of that is that you're providing assurance to shareholders. So it's like a derivative value add to people's passive investments, their 401ks, yada, yada, yada. Hedge funds and private equity funds, I'm basically just making sure the numbers are right for super rich people to make a ton more money. That's great. Not that motivating, not like, doesn't feel like it's the highest level of need in society. Um, At Harry's, it was like trying to upend a brand that I thought was, you know, kind of tacky, outdated, and also like manipulating prices whenever they wanted, not being truly fair. And so I thought that was like an honorable thing. So I kind of stepped closer in the right direction. And, and now what I'm doing, but it was, you know, just helping shaving. I was selling a razor, right? At the end of the day, we're, we sell razor blades. I'm not really selling anything here. I'm, I'm more like we're providing a service and we're trying to do it in a fairly priced way. I, d- I would say like, <laughs> if I didn't think the government, if I thought the government could do it well, or I thought like some public entity could do this well and provide really compassionate service. I would say this should be like a free service for every American. I don't think that people should have to be burdened by this end of life expense. We know it's coming for everyone. And so that's a little bit of a bummer, but if we're, if the business exists, I think we should operate not as a super capitalist mindset, but as a super people focused mindset, the money will come. Um, and I think we can take the greed off the table and focus on the people and you tend to get res- good results that way, um, through other ways. They're just treating people well is a good practice in business. I think it comes back in a, in a lot of ways that brings you more success and also more enjoyment out of your work. Like, so the day to day here is like, my goal is not to sell more. I don't have to worry about that. Um, and I personally benefit if we do, but like, I, I really, we focus on is that person going to have a great experience? And at the end, when, you know, I help hundreds of families a year, um, probably like three, 350 families just personally. Um, and the amount of conversations I have where they say how much, you know, I help them. Sometimes I feel like I did a lot of work. Sometimes I barely did anything and they still just giving me that feedback. Like you really made this easy. I'm going through a hard time and I really appreciate how you treated me. Never got that anywhere else. Super motivating, super, super motivating. So, um, that keeps, that keeps, that keeps me going. And I think that's our whole team is motivated by that. We share that those stories every day, actually in our morning meetings, we talk about, does anyone have like a great story from a conversation they had with the family yesterday? there's always plenty to go around. And we always talk about that as like a rallying point um, to remind ourselves that the work we do, even though it's super emotionally draining, um, even though it can be really sad, there are really positive outcomes to what we're doing if we do it the right way. Was that morning meeting practice in place 
did your aunt set that up or was that something that you and your brother had the idea for? It, that, that was my brother and I, um, I would say like, she set up like a system, an operational system. Like I was saying that manages the risk of problems and mistakes occurring super well. She has that down and, and we help manage that and tweak that. I've been adding in little specs of the people tricks that I've learned to say it, to look back and say like, our families get great care when our team feels they're cared for. And so in any way that I can do that, I try. And so we've added the storytelling, the kind of like a high story, you know, like what's a great story from yesterday you want to share. And then like, what's an opportunity, maybe it's customer feedback. Maybe it's a thought you had for things we can do better. That's how I get ideas. And I've tried to, you know, when I first came in, I think everyone was a little nervous. Like, are you here to like, optimize things and am I going to lose my job or are you trying to like change the way I do things? Cause you've never been in this industry before. They were super, you know, they were cautious about that. And I think rightfully so. And so I've taken the approach of like, you guys are going to give me all your good ideas and I'm going to help you make that a reality if I can. So, and they always have the best ideas. It's not me. Like my ideas are usually like off a little bit, but you, when you have a group think and everyone kind of shares their, their stories, you kind of get the right nuanced question that you need to answer out of it. So you're working with your older brother, I assume, right? No, he's younger, three years younger than me. He just moved out here after college. Um, so he's been in the industry a lot longer. Has the dynamic with, with him changed or is it, you know, is it relatively the same? It's just that you happen to go to the same office every day. Yeah. I mean, and we live together. We li we lived apart, uh, we, we went to like boarding school. So like we, we haven't lived together since I was 14. So it's been, it was like 15 years, but we've always been close and super lucky for that. And that there's a reason I moved here to be closer to him after I, I left New York. And um, so now we work and live together. Um, we don't go out a lot. So we're in this uh, beach, you know, little beach cottage here, the two of us working together, living together. Um, but we have a good relationship. We get on each other's nerves plenty, but we're, we're always positive at the end of the day. And I think like the work that we do, we're super aligned with the vision of um, how we're going to do this together. And we're also motivated by the same positive impact that we are having on families. And so that keeps us on track. Um, we, don't, we don't have major fights, um, just little small stuff. And we're, we're always, I think he and I are just always bouncing ideas off each other. It's actually nice. Um, we, we, we tried to actually have to make a rule that we can't talk about work at home so much because it can start to drive us a little crazy because we, we, we don't have as much social options outside of that. So we're, we're trying to cap our time thinking about it, the business as much, because um, it's just like an endless question in our head of like, how do we get better and how do we help more families? Like, because that's... That's, I think, what we're trying to measure our success by is like, how many people can we get to to have a great experience and be treated with fair pricing and a great team versus paying a lot more money for probably a lower quality of service just based on like how our customers have given us feedback versus other companies that we see. Um, it seems like we do it a little bit better. And so my thought is if I can improve the overall experience of um, the families that have lost a loved one in Southern California, like that's a, that makes me feel really good. So, and, he, and him too.
Thanks for listening. Escape of Velocity is hosted and produced by me, Kevin Sawyer, and presented by Modern Word Shop. Modern Word Shop helps startups and entrepreneurs make their words work harder through a full range of writing and editing services. www.modernwordshop.com And yes, that's Word Shop with a D. I hope you're feeling more inspired to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. Until next time, aim high and don't let gravity stop you. Thank you.